You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. Today, we are going to uh, learn from our guest how to scale a people-based business, something less automatable, and how to make that scalable. I encourage everybody, as always, to subscribe, leave a review wherever it is that you are listening to this, uh, like it on Spotify or follow it uh, wherever you're listening to it. And please do leave a review. It definitely does, uh, uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify, to again, to follow, to like it, uh, just, you know, do that. It makes it more accessible to more people and come up higher in the search results. Please do that. Take a moment, pause and do that. Um so with that, I want to get into introducing our guest today, who was introduced to me by a great EOS implementer, an implementer of the entrepreneurial operating system with entrepreneurial businesses named Bill Stratton in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, introduced me to our guest today. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of New Economy, which is based out of Rhode Island, uh, where he and his team provide financial services, including bookkeeping, accounting, fractional CFO, and tax uh, to funded startups, as well as founder-led businesses. Uh, in his words, they build your accounting and finance departments so you don't have to. Uh, you can find out more about him and his business at neweconomycpa.com. That's neweconomycpa.com. Very often I have to spell things in URLs, but this time I don't think I need to do that. Uh, with that, I give you Jeff Elaine. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Pretty swell. Can't complain. Thanks for coming on. Um, you know, if we could get started with like a quick intro, like, who are you? Just a quick two-minute uh, background on kind of who you are, where you came from, to be doing what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Again, thanks for thanks for having having me on today. I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, yeah, my, my story goes: I'm the I'm the founder of New Economy. I started the business about uh, seven years ago, and I, I say to folks half jokingly that I'm the recovering CPA. I went to school majored in accounting, spent the first 12 years of my career working at some of the larger, uh, more traditional CPA firms like PricewaterhouseCoopers, RSM McLadry. And what happened to me, um, which I'm very thankful for, is I bumped into the startup accelerator. And that, that sort of changed, changed my whole life. I got introduced to the investor-backed startup and the entrepreneur, and I just I fell in love with the space. I fell in love with the passion, the commitment, the drive, the smarts that these people had. And when I went back to my day job, I was in a suit and tie. I was on the, on the 12th floor of post office square in downtown Boston. It just, I just wasn't happy. And so I hooked up with a couple startups. I got to admit the Boston capital. part is not surprising to me. I got to admit. Yeah. Yeah. Boston, Boston <laughs> representing for sure. We were, we were on the train very early on back and forth between Boston and New York, but um, lots of startup activity in those, in those areas. And, uh -huh. and so yeah, so two companies, I helped raise some funding, and that provided for an opportunity for me to, to launch what, what is now New Economy. And I just, at the time, it was a fork in the road. I, I had to um, determine if I wanted to stay with the traditional CPA firm and become a partner. I was offered that opportunity, or literally jump out of the ivory tower and, and take on some risk, which is what a lot of our companies are doing. And, and start new economy. And those two companies, uh, they both had about 12 months of runway and that's how much visibility we had. But with the support of my wife and my mentors, we made the jump and we started with those, with those two companies. Well, that's great. And it's, you know, it, and I, I can certainly relate to that. I, you know, I also branched out from the, from the, uh, you know, from the fancy, 
corporate world to, you know, I was in law to, uh, you know, New York City law firm with, you know, almost 400 attorneys to, you know, to going out and starting my thing also, well, a few years in between, but, you know, going out and having that transition as well. And it's, you know, a lot of people I might be having on from your position to talk about finance knowledge, finance information, things that would be valuable to business owners. But what I'm really more interested in talking about with you is, you know, what I said in the intro of starting scaling a, a knowledge-based or scaling a people-based business. You're not talking like a, a SaaS, you know, a, a software as a service, something that you could just sell to 5 million clients or five clients and it's the same thing. But you have skilled people doing work. Obviously, there's some scalability or automation, maybe a, a possible in certain parts of it, but, you know, it, it's not just a machine that you could just turn up and do a million people or 10 people. So, that, you know, I think I want to I want to learn more from you, how you scale that business and how you plan to continue scaling that business, I think is something that people can learn from uh, in the way that you did that. So I appreciate that intro. And um, so, so let's just dive into that, right? So people have businesses like law, like I was in, or like accounting, like you were in and still are in, uh, team of experts of one kind or another. It probably could even apply to technical support or installing HVAC systems or plumbing. I mean, there's, there's probably a lot of things that this could apply to where you need talented, skilled people to develop a level, to deliver, excuse me, a level of service to your clients that you know is going to be reliable, high quality and, and whatnot. So I guess just start talking. Like how, how do you scale, how do you approach scaling a business like that? Yeah, well, let, let me back up. I think, I think what's important for everybody to, to really understand about themselves in, in terms of scaling a business is, is knowing what you want out of it, right? Let, let, let's start there because, you know, uh, in being very vulnerable and, and honest with you, you know, working with investor-backed startups, it's all about up and to the right. It's about fast growth, high trajectory growth. And I, and I sort of bought into that. And I always knew that I wanted to build build a business. I wanted to go beyond myself, build a brand that was adding impact multiplied in the lives of others, both, both a company internally and then other companies um, externally. And so, so I always knew that, but very early on, I was moving at the speed of the companies that I was working with. And these were product-based companies. And as you mentioned, I'm a service-based company. And so the first, I guess, two, three years of the business I had probably hired four or five people and I didn't really have systems. I didn't really have processes and we were moving very, very fast. I wasn't mm -hmm. focused on developing people and it was first time entrepreneur, right? First time going through it all. And I wasn't focusing on the right thing. So I sort of had a crash. I had lost two team members, two clients. It's sort of the backhanded compliment, right? Like, the team members are in there. They're doing a great job. They're adding value. At the same time, the clients are growing and the role becomes a full-time role. Within a quarter in 2017, and again, I'm just being, being vulnerable here with, with our audience, I had lost three team members hmm. to very good clients. And that sort of level set things for me. And I was growing the business, but the scaling process was not sustainable. So when that had happened, everybody, you know, that had left, we, they left on great terms. In fact, one of those, one of those employees is, is back with us now. Hmm. But what I realized is to, to scale the business, you really need a set of systems and a set of processes 
um, that the business can can really stand on. So so that the starting point for me was was knowing that I wanted to scale the business, but then when I had that sort of downturn, that that really started my EOS journey. And I, and I know that you're familiar with EOS, but I think you know getting getting the vision in place, getting the data in place, getting the people in place, getting the processes in place. I, I really committed to that. And one of the very first things that I did when I decided to, to give it another go in, in a second shot was to not, not do client work, do client service work. So my only client at this point is For, you, pers is you, for you personally. For me personally, yeah. My, my time is now spent 100% on new economy. And, and you gotta remember, I came out of the service world where I was a technician. And there's a lot of folks that are in accounting firms, law firms, that they're focused on the technical side and not letting go of that vine to then really sit in, in a leadership role, whether it's the visionary, the integrator, the sales role. And so I split my time up in those roles now. So I think in terms of the concept of scaling, for me, EOS was the starting point for really wrapping my arms around the various components of the business and to take it very, very seriously to the point where I was being intentional about where I was spending my time. And so on the people side, for example, I started right. the exercise of delegating to elevate and, and, and started hiring internally. I, I have an ops manager, I have a marketing manager, and this freed me up to take on higher level tasks, focus a little bit more on sales, focus a little bit more on, on people development. So right. The concept of the and the concept of scale too, I think, you know, if it's something that you're you're embarking upon, um, it's a long-term play. That that's the other thing that I've learned is it's it's a process. It's about continuous improvement, which is which is kind of it's one of the core values that we have is is continuous improvement, but also also embracing change. So it's it's really a long-term play, you know, when we, we rely on the data component of, of EOS, we've got a 10-year plan, which will get us ultimately to where we want to be. But then we break it down to five years, to three years, to the one-year plan, and we focus on those rocks. So it's a very systematic approach to growing the business. Now, with having that system in place, the other thing that I think is really important, the two things, is, is both culture and then the management leadership component, because I think, I think culture really scales. And I think if you have a healthy culture within the organization, um, that's going to help you to continue to, to get to the next level. And, and, what, and do you, what, do you, what do you stated, mean about, what do you mean about some of these processes or procedures you put in or, or, or the way that you scaled culture? Can you get, get a little more specific about what you mean about what you did there? Yeah, um, honestly, it was it was being really open and honest with employees and, and letting them know that you care about them and building that trust from the onset, really building credibility. And, and I think it's a it's a leadership sort of trait that I'm working on myself. But in the past, you know, as a younger leader or entrepreneur, it was all about my vision. It was all about where I wanted to go. And what I've really learned is, is it, I've got the vision, I've got the ambition, I've got the desire, but if I want to go far, I've got to have the team behind me. And so what I've really focused on doing is developing people and letting them know that 
that, that we genuinely care about them. And I often say to our team members, you know, they, they bring their whole selves to work. It's not mm-hmm. just their professional life. It's their whole self. So we work with them. We have, we, you know, you dovetail in a process. We have uh, biweekly one-on-ones. We have 90-day check-ins with the team members. And really what we're focusing on is understanding the challenges that they're having and how that we can set them up for success. And through that process and through that conversation, you know, and early on, you'd ask somebody like, what, what, you know, what's, where are you struggling? Where are you feeling stressed out? Um, where can I help you? They, they're a little reluctant. They don't want to open up because they're talking mm-hmm. to their manager or their supervisor right. or the boss. But I think once they realize that we're just going to keep hammering that message, we're, we, we're, right. we're genuinely here to set you up for success. Right. Now you've got everybody aligned. If there's a problem, we're going to raise the problem. It's another core value of ours is, is open and honest feedback. We're going to solve for it and we're going to make life better for that employee. Well, how, so how do you, how do you make it so you can let go of the vine and still know that your clients are getting taken care of the, the way that you expect? Yeah, a lot of that is, is getting the right people in the right seats and then developing processes where there's, where there's check-ins. So there's certainly the deliverable of our, our service. We, we think of our service in terms of this concept of productized service. And so, so we manage that. We have a process and we have a scorecard every week where we're managing the output or the workflow. Um, you know, we measure revenue by employee as well. We measure employee happiness. We measure client happiness. So at the end of the day, if I've got, if I've got a happy employee and a happy client, things are, things are going well. And that allows me to let go of the vine at a very, very high level. And I think there are a lot of things that you got to do to make that happen, but that's what we're ultimately measuring is that is the happiness of the, of the customers uh-huh. and the employees. And I'm stepping back by getting the right people in the right seats to manage those processes for me. Right. What's your, what's your breakdown of, uh, of like, in, you know, your people that are in person that are virtual, like, how does that work for you? Yeah. So um, interestingly enough, I think pre-COVID, we were probably at about 60% remote, meaning we were all working remote. Uh, when COVID hit, everybody went 100% remote. Right. Um, we had just had a, had a team meeting uh, about a week ago where, where we had decided that we're moving 100% remote. Like, like once the states open back up, we're in California with a physical presence. We're in Massachusetts. We're in New York, and we're, and we're in Rhode Island. Uh-huh. And when those states opened back up in the, in the middle of the summer, we had said to the team, hey, guys, you know, you're welcome to come back to the offices. And n- nobody came back. So they were they were sending us a message. Mm-hmm. And so everybody spread out. And, you know, again, I, I think with the with the meeting rhythms and the pulses in place and the scorecard that we have, you can really measure measure the output. And And I think that you know, the hiring is very important. The training is very important. The, the one system is very important. And I think communicating that very clearly to the team members and then getting out of the way is very important. Let, let the system run its course. And that's what we've done. So we're not, we're not micromanaging. We're empowering here. We're speaking to people very clearly with what the expectations are, right. what we're measuring. And we're letting them connect those dots. We're just, we're getting out of the way as fast as we can. We're certainly training them and developing them to be 
managers and leaders and technical accountants and and controllers and tax people and we're providing that for them very important as you mentioned earlier we're, we're a knowledge company so we got to continue to develop that but we try to we try to get out of the way and let them let them come to the table with their ideas with their problems with their thoughts and we just empower them how are you measuring people's happiness customers and employees you mentioned that before how are you measuring like technically speaking how are you measuring that yeah, so this is probably a, a shameless plug for a, a platform that probably a lot of our listeners leverage. But on the payroll side, there's Gusto, right? Okay. And and I'm so so every every two weeks, so twice a month, there's a survey that comes out via email, and all the employees get it, and it's three questions, and it's very simple, it's very easy. We get 100% participation because we ask for it, and we and we mention to our team that there's an expectation around that. And then what Gusto does is based on those two surveys, they provide us back a, a scorecard with a percentage around customer happiness. And so I, I suspect there's three or four questions in each one of those surveys that they send. Once we get it back, we then share it with the team via a weekly scorecard. And we're looking for an 80% happiness rating. And Gusto in return for answering those questions, they will give us a rating. And so we're probably in the, 95 to 100% in terms of employee happiness, um, which is probably one of the things that I'm, that I'm most, most proud of. And, and, and again, this is, you know, I, I think part of the frustration people have with like surveys and things like that is that people just don't do them, but you actually make it, you make, you're saying you make it expectation, meaning your CPA or your finance guy will actually be asking you every few days. like, Hey, you know, need you to, you know, do that survey still or whatever and, and just get it make like they're actually responsible to get it. They're not just not mentioning it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we, we just try to, in terms of the management process, I think one of our tenants is, is, to, is to communicate clearly what, what the expectations are. Now, just for clarification, the survey that I had mentioned is our internal survey. So that's around right. employee happiness. Right. So our ops manager will be the one that's following up with our team if somebody hasn't filled it out. If the client then there's a separate process. That well, no, there's a separate process for the client. So oh, Gusto's our how does it work with the clients? Platform. Yeah, so so you're probably familiar. We've done it a few different ways. You're probably familiar with the net promoter score. And so we've done Google surveys um, leveraging that in the past to get to get um, customer satisfaction, but that's something that's independent of the client service team. So, so internally at New Economy, we have, um, we've broken the technical team up into two teams. And the reason that we've done that is we feel that from a communication perspective and, and management perspective, the right team size is six to eight, six to eight, six to 10. So we've got two internal teams and those are our technicians that are facing clients. And then we have an operations team and our operations team comprises three other individuals. And they're really working on some of the internal stuff at new economy, but they're the ones that would be seeking out feedback from the clients independent of, of the accountants that would be providing the service. This way there's, there's not a conflict of interest and we're, and we're more likely to get, you know, honest feedback back from the clients. But but in either one of those situations with seeking feedback, I think the critical thing is keep it simple. Ask very pointed questions and keep it simple so that you can so you know 
folks can just get you the information as right. quickly as possible. Not in position to that's key. Right. Yeah. That's now, key. part of that part of that letting go of the vine question also for you is, you know, one of the big challenges for people letting go and this type of stuff is that you develop the reputation yourself, you, um, you Jeff, right? And so, how do you make that transition away of like saying I'm not going to be a service provider? to be other people how did you manage how did you or do you manage that i mean it's not like you've already done it but like how did you do that that you were able to get other people doing the service yeah lots of sleepless nights <laughs> up front in the beginning um because it's a transition right like i mentioned earlier it's it's sort of the long-term game and it's always it's always a work in process and, and i think for me it goes back to knowing what i wanted I knew that I wanted to build a company. I didn't want it to be just Jeff. So having made that decision, I, there was going to be a time and I had to mentally prepare myself for letting go of that vine, right? Like if, if you want to build a company, you're going to hire employees, you've got to delegate to elevate. And certainly there's the issue around, well, we hired Jeff. And very early on when we would go through the, the, the sales process with customers, I would let them know that there's a team. It, it's not Jeff. So there was a lot of educating right. uh, outwardly with the clients um, that that would happen. And then for me, it was a matter of really hiring the right people. And hiring is, is so critical, right? I mean, it's 80%, I think, of the success that we've had is getting the right people in here, getting them in the right seats, and providing a playbook for which they can navigate. Because what happens is when they start then doing good work, they're multiplying my vision and my effect, and they're delivering on brand promises, the brand promises of new economy. And that's really how we've grown. So we've made, not, not, not myself, but our team has made that client happy. It happened this weekend. I had, I had three referrals come in from existing clients. I have nothing to do with the client service based on the work that the team's doing. Right. So, you know, I, I think the letting go of the vine in part, it starts way at the beginning for me with knowing what I wanted. And then it's, it's, it's plugging people in. And the, and the other thing that's been very important there is when you're plugging people in, really understanding the core functions and being able to articulate that to them. You got you to have the job descriptions, but you also have to have the, the three to five core functions that they're ultimately responsible for. And you gotta you gotta hold them to that. And our meeting rhythms do just that. We'll have, you know, the 90-day check-in where we'll go over all of that stuff, where we're constantly providing clarity to the team members what we expect of them. And that's just something that it further enables me to let go of that vine. And we're in the process of, you know, letting letting go of another one because the business is at the point where, you know, in 2021, we're going to need uh, a fractional uh, integrator. And that's a seat that I'm playing. And that's a very key seat. I mean, that's the number two after that leadership yeah. seat. And so we're going to continue to have, we're going to continue to have to, you know, let go of the vine to grab the next one. And it's really going to be the same approach. It's, it's, it's finding the right person. And we're also looking in inward for that person, um, but also clearly articulating um, what those, what those core functions are that that person would be, would be responsible for and you got to get out of the way. You, you just have to get out of the way. If you've got the right person, you got the right core functions, you've got to have faith in the system and you manage it on a, on a, on a 30 day basis. 
Right. That's great. Maybe I could just ask one last thing is tell me a drop more about that playbook you referred to earlier that, you know, creates a certain, certain railings, right? Just a, a certain process around which people are doing. Yeah, people are experts, but it's clear what, what, you know, you talked about productizing. Just if you could say a couple of minutes about how you did that, because again, I think all of these things I'm asking really with the intent of the listeners or viewers on, on YouTube coming in and saying like, hmm, you know, if I have this people-based business, how, how can I do this? If, if, like you said at the beginning, that's the person's decision, that's what they actually want. Some people really want to have just their own business where it's a job and they're just a solopreneur. There's a lot of people who prefer that. Uh, but for those who would like to scale, and I'm, I'm, I'm among those, I'm really trying to learn also selfishly and, and let people hear this. But tell me about that playbook and that productization of a, of a knowledge-based service. How does, what does that look like? Yeah, so um, you know we have five financial tools that that we that we implement into businesses. One's a rolling cash flow forecast. One's the the financial model. Um, one is the the month end close. And let's just let's just pick on the month end close for example. And the month end close, the idea there is is we have created internally some IP at New Economy that, that, that's actually a product that we release to the clients that, that we expect every team member delivering that service to a client to deliver it 80% in the format that we have. So we've got, we've got this monthly close and the monthly close is really for the client, the value proposition is around the accuracy of the numbers. So it's a set of schedules where we're reviewing their income statement, their balance sheet, and all the supporting reconciliations behind that. Every team member on every client that's delivering that, and we have a month-end Zoom to deliver that information, 80% of it's consistent from client to client. And we refer to that as the new economy way. So, so in many different services that we provide, there's a product that we've created that, that evolved over time. We're constantly tweaking it to make it get better, but team members get trained on how to prepare that product. And there's an expectation that it's going to, that there's rails, as you had mentioned, that they're going to stay in between that are, that are going to make it efficient. They're going to make it effective. Um, and at the end of the day for the client, ultimately, um, they're going to get an accurate product as it, as it relates to that. So there's a lot of time that's gone into thinking about what are the different things within the business that need to be productized. And, and we've spent the time thinking about that. And, and that's scalable as well, because we've got 13 full-time team members. And for that one service with the 45 clients that we have, it's pretty consistent. We don't have different people doing different things that, different ways. you know, we have a different ways. We've got a quality control review process at New Economy, right? Our product is very important, the accuracy of it, because the clients are relying on those financials to make decisions. Do we hire? Don't we hire? Do we raise money? Don't we raise money? And it's based on looking at, at some of this data. So the quality control review process needs to be in place. And it would be a nightmare for them if they're looking at, you know, 45 closes that are going out every month that look very different. Right. They all look very, very consistently. And that's, and that, that's, that can create for a level of, of scalability. There's uniformity between the, 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 both the, the service and the product. Right. 
No, it's very helpful. It's very interesting. And, you know, I think that just kind of summarizing in a couple of seconds, you talk about deciding that, you know, scaling a knowledge business is what you want, first of all. Secondly, 80% of it you're saying is really having the right people in the right seats. Otherwise, obviously, you can't do anything. Uh, and then having processes, procedures, and data that you're reviewing on a regular basis to make sure it's it's being done uh, in a you know in a standardized way and and in a, and in a high quality way. So, really, really interesting. And I appreciate you coming on today. And I think it definitely you know adds a lot of value for people, in, especially for people in these kinds of businesses. So, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think just the last the last comment with all that stuff is you know it, again I, I can't emphasize one of the things that I've learned is it's it's all about the journey. So as you, as you take the leap, be open, be coachable, seek mentors. Um, there's highs, there's lows, there's sideways, and all of that is, is, really, is really part of this journey. But if you want to talk about scaling a, a people business, and we're at 13 from zero, it comes back to the people. I think it comes back to finding the right people, treating them well, let them know that you genuinely care about them. Uh, train them and develop them, make, make them, help them become the best version of themselves that they can become. I mean, our mission is to unleash the full potential of the entrepreneur. These accountants, CFOs, tax people that come with us, they want to be unleashed and that, and that's our job. So, yeah. All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And we will see everybody else on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.